Hi everyone, this is One Mike Knight, the podcast that brings you stories of intriguing people and their journey in entertainment and life, helping to guide, answer questions, and hopefully inspire your path in the world. Today uh, is a kind of a special day because we're talking about something that's worldwide. We're going to be talking about mental health, and my guest today is a doctor in clinical psychology, and she specializes in dealing with children and adolescents. A lot of her career has been working uh, with services and criminally involved youth. And we're going to talk about some mental health issues and what mental health is and where we are in the state of mental health. So please welcome, welcome Dr. Nina Crawford. Hi, Dr. Crawford. Hello. How are (laughs) you? you I'm great. Thank you for coming on because I think this is a very, very important topic and I've been, it's like a desire for me to talk about this because I think it's so relevant and so here and so now and conversations have been happening about this for a long time, but now it's time for people to take action and feel okay with it. Absolutely. So thank you. You're welcome. So first off, I want to... ask you, what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Well, the major difference is the psychiatrist is some, goes to medical school and they also are able to prescribe medication. Psychologists, we do more of the therapy and we do psychological evaluations, things of that nature. We do not prescribe medication. Okay. So what is, what is mental health? Mental health can sometimes be a very complex thing, but there are several components such as it involves emotional, psychological, and social well-being. And so there are many factors that can contribute to one's mental health being biological factors like there's a just genes that play a role in mental health. Trauma, life experiences play a gigantic role mm. in mental health in family history. Okay. You mean uh, like traumatic experiences? Uh, Um, Yes. mm -hmm. Um, Things that people are exposed to every day that one would feel are very traumatic situations. And when you have ongoing situations, like um, I've seen in a lot of young people and families that I um, provide services for in urban areas, um, it becomes normalized to them, the shootings and the killings and the drugs and Mm. um, seeing people addicted to drugs on the streets and the poverty, it just becomes a way of life. And they don't really realize that all of those types of events have an impact on their mental health. Ooh. So what are, if someone were to have uh, mental health issues, what are some of the signs that, you know, are applicable to that? Yes. Um, There are several common warning signs that one would see. You would see some form of depression where whether it would be feeling sad or being withdrawn Um, in young people specifically um, depression um, displays or manifests itself more as a lot of anger or irritability. So that's a that's something significantly different from how we would see depressive symptoms in an adult. Um, You may see suicidal, homicidal ideation. You'll see an increase in risky behaviors, whether it be overspending, engaging in reckless um, sexual behaviors, Mm. um, impulsivity, things of that nature. Um, 
you'll see a lot of anxiety, feeling extremely overwhelmed or um, intense fears or worrying. Um, you'll see appetite and sleep changes, drug use, problems with focusing and concentration. These are some of the common warning signs of there's maybe a problem there. That's interesting because when you're talking about kids and adolescents, you know, you think, you know, you see somebody sleeping too much. You see somebody, uh, you know, going out and partying, you know, as they call it. You know, sometimes you don't even think twice about it. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Because you, you, you chalk it up to being part of growing up and part of a phase that they're in, a part of, you know, an adolescent or teenager, teenage life. Yes, that is how absolutely you, true. Yeah. So how, I, I mean, I wouldn't even know how to distinguish it. I mean, is it an extreme case of that or? Well, I would say, you know, parents would definitely, you know, your children, if you're paying attention. Um, for example, my daughter, she definitely sleeps, gets her eight to 10 hours a day. <laughs> now, if she's sleeping 15, 16, like out of the norm, I would say, hey, I would start trying to pay attention to what her behavior patterns have been, asking her questions, trying to assess her emotional well-being. So it's really things that are not the norm for your child, which is how you kind of start saying, hey, there's there's some warning flags there. Mm, okay. Now, <clears throat> I know that in the past few years, it seems like we've had of you know a rash of mass shootings and things mm -hmm. like that. What kind of you know mental Ill illness does that come from? Is that you know it it can be a plethora of factors that play into to mass shootings and people killing in general. When I first decided that I wanted to get into this field, interestingly enough, um, I remember being in middle school growing up in New York and always wondering what goes through someone's mind that they would like to take someone else's life. So that has always been an interest of mine, which is why I probably work more on a correction side. Um, but you have um, social influences, you have environmental influences, um, you have drug use, and then you may have underlying mental health issues that compound um, impulsivity. And then people go out and they do these heinous crimes and you, people are trying to figure out what went wrong. Um, so it's so many different factors that go into um, why people do some of the things that they do, especially when we're talking about um, a lot of these mass shootings um, that we have seen in the media. And one of the things that we see a lot is that after you start talking to people who have interacted with these people, they start saying, well, you know what? Yeah, I did use, the, he did have these drawings or she did start acting this way or that way. And we kind of didn't pay attention to it. And then you have this, this big event that now everybody is saying, well, yeah, I did feel as though there was an issue there, but I kind of, did intervene, which makes it a, a intense public safety issue, which is why we're seeing a lot of the things going on now. And that's hard to decipher because how do you know, you know, as a teacher, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you hope that you know as, as a parent what your kid's doing, but how mm -hmm. do you know as a teacher or somebody in the public that somebody's doing something a little bit strange and, and maybe I should report them or maybe I should find out what's going on? How do we know? Well, 
I would implore the school systems, which they're trying to do a better job at it now, since a lot of things have been going on in the school system where we're seeing a lot of violence taking place in schools where teachers are getting more trained in mental health um, risk factors and symptoms and having social workers and psychologists in the school system now that can provide um, assistance to the educational system because it is difficult to decipher if you don't know what you're looking for. Right. Um, so once we get a lot of this training and awareness on board, you know, teachers are becoming more aware of what's going on in their classrooms when they're seeing a young person display disruptive behaviors that appear unsafe. Um, and mm. most kids will, they will display these things that kind of get your attention, whether they're uh, verbally aggressive a lot or physically aggressive or bullying, just a lot of aggression tends to be around um, people. And, and that kind of gets teachers' attention also inattentiveness or disrupting the class, you know, these kind of things are, are red flags that kind of suggest that teachers may need to get administration involved. Right. So I know according to the Mental Health uh, American National Organization, 74.5 million children <laughs> have psychiatric disorders. And that's more than the number of children with cancer, diabetes, and AIDS combined. Do you think that the schools have anything to do with making the kids depressed or do you think it has anything with, you know, their mental health? Yeah, I, I think that, um, as I mentioned before, mental health is not just a one faceted thing. It's a mm -hmm. combination of social factors, environmental factors, biological factors. And I think that um, certain stressors add onto that. And school is definitely could be a stressor, especially if you're dealing with a young person who is already academically behind. So I'm in a classroom where I cannot do the work. And so that's an added stressor. And especially in urban settings, I live in Baltimore City, you have a lot of young people coming to school who haven't had food, who don't have, they're actually having to fend for themselves. And then you want me to come in school all day and try to learn. And so a lot of these stressors compound the situation and it puts the school at a, um, you know, at a disadvantage because a lot of these schools don't have the resources that they need to handle the amount of mental health disorders and symptoms that they are seeing in our young people. And then what ends up happening is our kids stop coming to school and then they hang out more in the communities and they start mm. getting into more trouble. And then they're um, coming into contact with the juvenile justice system, younger and younger and younger. Wow. Right. Because I feel like, you know, you're facing so many challenges there. Yeah. It has to do with your grades. If you feel like you're not making good grades mm -hmm. and then, you know, you, you start to lose some self-esteem, mm -hmm. uh, just a lot of things. You end up dropping out of school, which then mm -hmm. prevents you from getting a job, which, you know, then causes it's the trickle effect. Yes. You know, and, and we cannot like forget peer pressure. That is peer pressure. huge. Right. Right. The influences of the people that you hang around with. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So tell me, can you tell me a little bit about some of your experiences uh, with the children and the, with the behavioral problems? Oh, uh, yes. Well, I've been fortunate and blessed enough to actually work with children and their families in a variety of settings. I worked in the community and community-based settings where I did case management and had to testify in front of course. I've worked in group homes. I've worked in psychiatric settings. I worked in school settings and 
Of course, I worked in corrections and I've had a plethora of experiences from children as dealing with abandonment of a parent, um, growing up in single family homes, dealing mm-hmm. with parents who um, unfortunately um, are drug addicted um, to dealing with children in a variety of spectrums, whether it's from a low SES to children that are um, of privilege. Um so I've had to deal with children that are severely depressed. I've dealt with children that are extremely aggressive where they are having charges of attempted murders and um, sexual battery charges and rapes and very, very violent crimes. And it's very difficult to navigate because here you have a young person sitting in front of you that... Um, is charged with a very violent crime, but you know that there are so many layers to why this may have happened and just trying to make sure that you don't continue to criminalize this young person. They have to have a consequence, but there's also things mental health wise that have to be dealt with that you don't want that to be pushed under the rug because we're only dealing with the behavior aspect because we can overtly see that, hey, yeah, you punched this kid in the face, but not getting to the underlying root of why you're so aggressive. Um, so it's, it's challenging because there's um, n- not a lot of resources sometimes in many of the jurisdictions that I worked in. And then um, it's ideal that you get parents involved. And then you have parents who don't want to get involved because of the stigma of mental health and don't want people in their business or really just don't know how to navigate the system. And why, like why, why is there, why is there a stigma with mental health? You know, why? as far as That's African Americans are concerned, mm-hmm. um, you know, we kind of uh, are reared and socialized that nobody needs to be in our business. At right. one point, like my mother's era, she's in her seventies. She talked about how the neighborhood, kind of raise the child well you have um generation now where you can't say anything to anyone's child because uh parents come in and they have a problem with it so i think we got away from that and a lot of the parents that i speak to their their perception is oh ain't nothing wrong with my kid so the idea of being labeled crazy because i hear that a lot when you talk to them about mental health or trying to educate them they'll say oh my kid's not crazy so it's the labeling that i think is a strong barrier to um why people don't um access or don't engage in services that are provided for them because of the stigma and the labeling that um mental health that they believe mental health signifies absolutely well i mean i i have to agree with you on that one because even so there's 9.4 percent of kids age two to seven that have been diagnosed with with adhd Mm -hmm. you know so that that affects the learning so you have a child in school and they're misbehaving they have a problem they need help it's Mm -hmm. not just that they're, they're not listening to the teacher you know your kid has a problem and needs some some help of some sort a little Absolutely. bit different, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, we do see a lot of of, of that happening. And um, you have parents when you're given the option of, you know, um, services or or medication just to help 
um, stable amount, they don't want these things. They'll they say, don't oh, want those. Yes, uh, you're right. my, kid, mm-hmm. my kid doesn't need that. They're smart. They can right. do this and do that. And I'm just, you know, trying to relate to them. Well, I've tested your child and they're three grade levels behind in reading and writing and math. And it's because the teachers are saying that they see in these focus and attention issues, these concentration issues. And so we can provide you with some skills to help manage that. But a lot of times they don't want the services based on how they believe their child is going to be viewed, right. um, which is which is challenging in and of itself. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've had that own that whole uh, issue in my own family, and uh, you know, we had to fight to yeah. make sure that our child was you know along the right path. It yeah. took some extra work on our part, mm-hmm. but you know, we knew that. The child needed some, you know, additional help in learning and seeing things in a different way than the other kids. So that was, you know, that had to come from the home. Yeah. They didn't provide us with that resource. You're absolutely right. And then that's the other barrier because you have a lot of um, parents that do not know how to advocate, right? So you do have systems that you have to go an extra step or two or three or five beyond because um, they'll keep telling you there's nothing wrong because they don't want to pay for the services or they, they don't have the services available and they don't kind of want to, you know, let you know. And then when parents don't know how to advocate, then their child and the family as a whole falls under the cracks. And then by the time they come to me, it's kind of like playing catch up. And it's like, wow, then you have to deal with the mental health issues that come with that. Like you talked about before with depression and shame and, and guilt and all of these things that suppress your motivation. Um, So it's, it's, it's challenging. It is challenging. And I have to say, you know, uh, I'm probably, we're probably about the same age growing up where I went to school the discipline was done in the school. Yeah. The discipline was done by the teachers. They were allowed to paddle you. You yeah. would be sent to the principal's office. There was a paddle there and <laughs> you would get a spanking. Yeah. You know, and then your parents would come there and pick you up and maybe you get a spanking by your parents too. Absolutely. I mean, and that, I'm not saying that that's always the, the right answer, but I'm saying that that helped to prevent some other things from going askew. Yeah, I do think that... Um, as a whole, sometimes we've gotten away from putting more stricter environments in place and allow um, children and adolescents to kind of dictate some things and kind of make decisions that they may not be um, equipped for. And then that puts uh, the adults in the situation at a disadvantage um, because the media, as you can see, we have a lot of young people that's going in and beating up teachers these days and um and then you know and i guess the teacher doesn't really have a recourse because if they protect themselves then who's getting fired the teacher is getting fired and so it's just it's just challenging that you know the answer yeah it may not be to always constantly suspend a young person but we have to find some ways to deal with behavior issues when they arise in our schools that make everyone feel safe and then the young person still gets what they need academically or the uh, whatever other interventions that they may need right. but schools are under underfunded they, uh, they're overpopulated and teachers that are normally supposed to have 15 students in the class have double that. So it's very difficult Mm -hmm. to manage. To Um, manage that. So it's just a lot of barriers. But 
You know, I know people are trying to do the best they can and they're starting to realize, I think, how important mental health services are. And for the life of me, I don't understand why that's one of the first things that's cut as, as in education funding. It's the first thing that's cut. And I'm like, you can clearly see the need for mental health services and more resources in our schools. And those are the first things that go, which is baffling to me. Right. The mental health. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch it a little bit further. I think the arts, the arts and recreation. Yes. You know, so, you know, these kids need a way to put that energy into something else. They need a way to be creative and allow themselves to do things and be free to explore some things. Right. Extracurricular activities Extracurricular. are a must. I mean, mm-hmm. that helped us and that and that provides structure. It pl- provides discipline and also provides social skills because a lot of our young people do not know how to relate to one another. Right. So do you think that's a sign of the time? Oh, uh, yeah, unfortunately. And I, I just think that um, we are failing our kids in so many levels. And I think not being able to have the arts and extracurricular activities, with, be it sports and things of that nature, those things are getting cut out of the school too, and music. Um, I just think that is 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 detrimental to our young people because everyone is not going to go to Harvard. Everyone's not going to go right. to college in general. And education is just not academics. Education is the arts as well. The intelligence. Say it again. You know, Say it's it again. more than that. And so I don't understand right. why those programs, um, you know, get cut. Right. We need those in the we school. Need we them. need them. Yes. You know, and people are working hard, you know, and we're raising money to do it. You know, you have these organizations outside of the schools like myself who who do things like One Mike Night, who bring music and poetry and all those yeah. things to people, you know, so you can put your energy in that. Because like you said, it's everybody's not going to Harvard. No. You know, but you might excel in something else. You, Absolutely. you might excel in, in having the freedom to do some other things. Absolutely. So where are we now in, in the state of mental health in general do you think um i think in general i when i watch the news and and i'm looking at the research i i feel like a spotlight is becoming um more brighter on the fact that mental health and the awareness of it is gaining a lot more traction than i've seen in some past years and so i like that I'm seeing that people are trying to develop initiatives. The CDC is is having initiatives with SAMHSA and the National Institute of Mental Health and just doing more research and just trying to put things in place um, and push programs and push prevention because it's so very important. As you alluded to earlier, the statistics are staggering. You know, you have half of the population that are suffering with mental health symptoms and nowhere to go. And so what do you think is going to happen? Their functioning is going to be impacted. And then you start seeing a lot of chaos and confusion and people just don't know what to do with themselves. And then it's just everything starts going awry. But if we get these services and access in place, healthcare access and place insurance, just so many things. If, if we get back to that, I just think that we could just help so many people. And I think you for having 
um, platforms like this and people are, you know, we being able to use the internet way more than I think anyone ever thought that we really would use right. it now yes. that we mm-hmm. having That's right. this uh, COVID-19 situation that we can still get the message out, you know, um, and, and make people aware and educate people of the ills that are plaguing us and how we can help one another and empower each other because education is power. Knowledge is power, right? And so if we know things, if we know things, we can do better. And I just think that um, the platform that we're having and the conversations that we're starting to have around a lot of different things um, could serve to be very helpful, especially for the mental health field. I agree with you 100%, 100%. And so what I want to say before we wrap it up, because I don't want to take up too much of your time and I do appreciate you, is where do you go? Where do you start to get help? You know, where's the first place you go? Well, the first, uh, the major first step that I noticed that a lot of people tend to do is through their a primary health physician, your PCP. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what I would say to that, though, is the primary care physician isn't specifically trained in mental health, right? So what they will potentially do is you'll come in and say, you know, you have some symptoms and they'll just prescribe medication. Well, we kind of really don't know diagnostically if that's really what's going on. So I would suggest that if once people start with their PCP, they ask their primary care physician to give them some type of referral to a mental health provider. So another assessment, a more in-depth mental health assessment can be conducted. So we can get some diagnostic clarification. We can then refer out to services, be it um, a psychiatrist for a medication evaluation or get them connected with some outpatient mental health services. But most people start um, by contacting their primary care physicians. In the school, most often um, mental health contact starts with the school social worker and then they kind of probably initiate to see whether or not this young person is eligible for some type of special education services. And then social workers in the school kind of contact parents and kind of give referrals into community-based services. So that's another way that I've seen that people access um, mental health services in terms of, of young people. Um, but most of the feedback that I've ever gotten from parents is they kind of take their kid to their primary care physician. It's like, oh, yeah, they just put them on medication. Well, did you have any follow up? Did you get any therapy? Because the research shows that medication alone is not going to be as beneficial as an effective treatment as it is the combination of therapy and medication. Um, so when the medication isn't working, then that's another barrier where parents will come back and say, or even adults, I've been taking this medication, it's not working, so I'm just not going to take the medication anymore. When you have to realize that when you have mental health issues, um, learning skills and strategies um, to help yourself when things are starting to feel a little funny, that you can start implementing some of the strategies and treatments that a therapist have um, have implemented with you throughout the therapeutic process, along with the medication to kind of deal with whatever's going on medically and chemically in the brain, then your prognosis becomes better than just using one or the uh, one or the other alone. Right. Um, so you have a combination of 
of things you can use. Yes, absolutely. Does, does the medication always work? Um, I would say probably not, but I think that it's just like any other medical disease. Um, you know, my husband, he has, um, diabetes, so it took a couple of different medications and doses to, to get it right. So I think it's the same concept, um, with mental health, you know, if I've been diagnosed with ADHD, there's tons of different medications that treat ADHD. So if I took one, Ritalin, and that didn't work. And then I tried Concerta and that didn't work. Well, maybe Focalent works. Maybe uh, Vivance works. But I know a lot of people, uh, the feedback that I've gotten over the years is that people don't want to be lab rats and keep trying. And, and I, I try to explain to them, it's just like any other medical disease that sometimes medications have to be tweaked if they're absolutely necessarily needed, which a psychiatrist would be able to tell you, um, is that you kind of got to stick with it. And some people um, get tired. Um, and, you know, sometimes medications have side effects and those kind of things that people just kind of think they can try to handle it on their own. And some are successful and some aren't. Um, so it kind of just depends, but I just implore people to kind of stick with it. And when things aren't working, you go back to your doctor and let them know, Hey, this is not working. That's pretty much what we tend to do. If we had a vascular disease or we have diabetes or any type of disease, we kind of have to contact our doctor and say, Hey, I'm not feeling right. Something's not going on right with the medication. I think that if people took that particular stance with mental health as well, that they could probably get on the right treatment regimen. Um, even this even goes with therapy. If you're not feeling like you're making any traction, it's a conversation that you would need to have with your therapist. And maybe that therapist is not the right fit for you, or you need another type of uh, treatment intervention that that particular therapist is not um, competent in. So it's just, you just have to play with it and just be, you know, um, invested in your health. And sometimes it just, it takes a while to get there. That's right, because a better you makes a better world. Yeah. You know, and you have to take care of yourself first and make sure that you're okay. Absolutely. Yep. Well, Dr. Crawford, I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with us and educating us all about some mental health. Um, right now, it's time for. Baby? <laughs> Baby, where you at? So that's my mom, and she wants to know <laughs> where we can find you. <laughs> where we can find you if we have any questions or if you, you know, how to get in touch with you about more mental health issues. Sure. Um, my email address is Nina Crawford, N-I-N-A-C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D, the number one at Yahoo. And I'm on Instagram at still love the New York Knicks. All right. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not doing too well, but I That's still love the <laughs> All right, everybody, make sure you get in contact with Dr. Crawford if you have any questions or you can contact me directly. Go to the Instagram page, One Mike Knight. One Mike Knight is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. This is One Mike Knight, the podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode and be careful and take care of yourself and your mental health. My name is Marcos Luis. You can follow me on Instagram at M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S. And please go to Apple iTunes, rate us, let us know what you think, leave us some comments. We're also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Podbean. Thank you for joining me for this episode of One Mic Night. See you next time. <laughs>